الجزيرة بودكاست Israel's cabinet meets underneath the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound. Palestinians say it's another provocation. Israeli-funded digging below the area in occupied East Jerusalem has been condemned by international archaeologists. So why is that work so controversial? I'm Nastasia Tay, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, for more on this, I'm joined by our guests. In Tel Aviv, we have Alon Arad. He's the executive director of Emek Shaveh, an Israeli NGO working to protect ancient sites for the public and people of all faiths and communities. In London is Mazen Kumsieh. He's director of the Palestine Institute for Biodiversity and Sustainability. He's also the founder and director of the Palestine Museum of Natural History. In Boston is Rami Khoury. He's a syndicated columnist and also the director of global engagement at the American University of Beirut. A warm welcome to you all and thank you very much for joining us today on Inside Story. I want to start with this cabinet meeting, which I believe was also convened to mark Israel's Jerusalem Day. Mazen, why was the choice of venue quite so provocative? Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, the Israeli government, uh, from its founding of the state of Israel, has been interested in asserting sovereignty over the land of Palestine and calling it the Jewish state of Israel, as well as creating pretext for colonization, uh, giving an excuse that it is not colonization, it's a return of Jews to uh, some historic land that they had before. And hence, they wanted to assert sovereignty over these areas, uh, which by international law, they have no right to, of course, as uh, an occupying power. Uh, so that's what they have been doing, creating pretexts uh, for colonization, for expansion, and failing at finding any archaeological or historical uh, relevance. Uh, they create pretexts, and this is one of the pretexts they create. Uh, Alon, let me ask you a little bit more about the tunnels that this meeting took place in. They're under part of the Western Wall or alongside it. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about the site and, and its significance? So uh, the tunnels themselves, they are running in parallel to the Western Wall, to the Haram Sharif Wall, basically, and, and in major parts under the Muslim quarter of the uh, old city of Jerusalem. Uh, and for that, we have to understand that the old city itself is built layers upon layers, mm. and there are all these spaces that, through uh, uh, archaeological activities, such as excavations, um, basically they are clearing all these spaces and allowing uh, different developments, such as synagogues and, and places that can host this meeting. Well, this choice of holding a cabinet meeting there, this also came on the heels of comments from Itamar Ben-Gavir, the far-right Israeli minister who actually walked into the Al-Aqsa mosque compound and, and made those comments. Um, they appeared to be very deliberately provocative. Uh, Rami, is there a sense that this is all part of a, a strategy uh, of this far-right government, a scaling up of, of narratives, perhaps? Yes, this is part of a strategy, either organized or uh, spontaneous, uh, among Zionists, especially extreme Zionists, uh, that dates back about 100 years um, to the very beginning of the process by which a small group uh, of Jewish uh, Zionist uh, extremist nationalists uh, convinced the British in 1917 uh, to uh, 
promise that there would be a, a Jewish national home in Palestine. The Balfour Declaration was issued by England, by Britain, which had no right to do that. It didn't own the land. Um, and, and so this is part of a long historical process by which uh, some Jews, not all Jews, uh, uh, some Zionists have tried to do everything they can to implement a process of uh, contemporary and now ancient apartheid and colonialism that says Jews have the total right to live in this land and to define it in their image and in their legacy. Non-Jews have only crumbs that are left over. So in this excavation and the tunnels and the Silwan work, uh, they find Memluk layers, they find other layers, Islamic layers, uh, and they just either ignore them or they turn one of the Mamluk Islamic homes uh, or structures they found was turned into a Jewish Bible center. So this is really a continuation of what we can best call archaeological colonialism and apartheid that gives Jews primacy and exclusivity uh, in life in the land. They want all Jerusalem forever and whatever is under the land also. Uh, Alon, you mentioned there layers upon layers of history here. Obviously, this is a, an area that's very rich in human history, and there are many interpretations of, of what you're finding there, especially of what's under the ground. Uh, when, in your mind, Alon, did the politicization of archaeology here really begin? So, I, I think archaeology is political from its beginning to its end. The decision where we want to excavate, how much we want to excavate, which layers do we give more, uh, let's call it a research, uh, which layers we emphasize later on when we present the sites to the public. These are all basically moral and political decisions. Uh, so when you have a, a place, especially like uh, Jerusalem and the old city, where you have thousands of year, years of, of human presence, um, the, the, the fact that the state of Israel is uh, emphasizing by allocating a lot of resources and by uh, ju not just to excavation, but also for tourism and, and the reservation of these, it's all political. And, and the outcome is that we are given uh, a very one-sided story of Jerusalem uh, while deliberately or uh, ignoring and uh, the rest of these layers or the rest of these periods, as my colleagues here said. Um, Alon, you were saying there that every single decision is a political decision. I wonder, though, how it has become quite so charged. Mazen, archaeologists are supposed to be scientists, aren't they? So how has archaeology become quite so subjective here? Uh, this started out in the 19th century with the beginning of Zionism and the uh, uh, politicization of archaeology started then uh, when uh, Palestine Exploration Fund sent some archaeologists to try and prove, if you want, stories in the Bible via finding uh, artifacts. Uh, history failed to uh, show this. Archaeologists failed to show this. And in fact, even Israeli archaeologists like Israel Finkelstein of uh, Tel Aviv University uh, wrote a book called 101 Myths of the Bible, 
based on his archaeological examination, that these were mythological uh, events and historical, uh, you know, fabrications of the Bible. The reality is, uh, of course, to serve as a political agenda. This is not unusual in world history. Uh, politicization of archaeology is done in other places, but it is not as blatant and as, um, I don't know how to describe it, what's a word, uh, one can use uh, words like archaeological racism or archaeological apartheid or archaeological colonization, but it is a system that's ingrained when I remember people like Moshe Dayan, who's a military man, becoming, quote-unquote, uh, amateur archaeologist gathering and stealing basically Palestinian artifacts and uh, and using them in um, in justifying something you know like Canaanitic artifacts being reinterpreted as somehow quote unquote Jewish artifacts um, this this is the reality of uh, trying to prove this connection and it is uh, a failure at some level but it's also the amount of effort put behind it, uh, including the use of these tunnels, which were dug long before any potential uh, uh, Hebrew or Israelite history. Uh, we have to remember Jerusalem, Ur Salem, was built by the Jebusites, Jebusites uh, long before any associated history, if there was associated history. Uh, but this is the history of the country mm -hmm. that is Canaanitic. My ancestors are Canaanitic, of course. And so this is uh, unfortunate, you know, politicization of archaeology that even Israeli decent archaeologists, as I mentioned, dispute mm -hmm. and, uh, and show that it's politicized. Nazem, I, I want to pick up on something that you said there. You talked about archaeologists receiving funding. And I'm wondering, Rami, is that how archaeologists are being influenced? Is it primarily about receiving funding or money for their digs? And, and how, what, what kinds of sums are we talking about here? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you the exact amounts, um, but the reality is that archaeologists generally tend to be serious scholars and apply certain rules of archaeology in terms of their excavation and their analysis and their publishing their finds. Um, uh, a lot of this is not followed in the kind of work that Israel is doing uh, in Jerusalem and, and, and other parts of Palestine and, and uh, Israel. Um, so I, I would say you have the political ideological motivation that is the strongest one uh, in Israel rather than people wanting money, because there's plenty of money around uh, for sure. archaeologists. The problem, let me just mention two quick things. There's two real bigger problems related to this. The whole biblical text, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, I've read through it many times. I've written about biblical archaeology, mostly in, in Jordan and Palestine. Um, the biblical archaeological texts are part fiction, part imagination, uh, part mythology, part national aspirations, and part uh, factual evidence, uh, written by a whole group of people uh, between uh, the uh, uh, Ninth and eighth, uh, seventh uh, century BC, uh, put together. So these biblical texts, the the Old Testament, especially the Hebrew Bible, uh, cannot be seen as verifiable um, texts to follow. That's one uh, problem. 
the other one is that the Israelis have desperately for 150 years, uh, first the, the colonial British and then the American Protestant uh, extremists and then uh, Israelis have been fervently looking for evidence of the kingdoms of Solomon and David in Jerusalem. And this is what they're still trying to do today. And there is no credible, uh, irrefutable evidence. There's little hints here and there, but there's little hints of, of, of ancient Jews all over the Middle East, like there are uh, Armenians all over the Middle East, like there are Christians all over the Middle East. The, 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 the idea that this was one area that was dominated by this group that belongs to them now because in ancient times they lived there uh, is fanciful, but it's, it's Zionist archaeology. This is what Zionism is it wants a state for the Jewish people. And they started working on it 100 years ago, and they succeeded. But they're now being pushed back on many, many fronts because the facts uh, are, are, are coming out. So you have to look at all these dimensions mm -hmm. when you look at a situation like this. Alon, I want to bring you in here because I, I do want to ask you specifically about the Elad Foundation. I understand that they've been involved in a lot of funding around some of these digs. Can you characterize for our viewers who they are, and perhaps if they're becoming more active under this government? Yes. Uh, well, Elad is, is a group of settlers that uh, identifies the neighborhood of Silwan as uh, the city of David. Um, and, and they have been working uh, for many years in this region, in the area of Silwan, for two main purposes. One is to take over houses uh, through different uh, mechanisms, uh, and the other is to create this touristic, uh, touristic educational uh, uh, areas uh, of archaeological remains from different periods, and to create this kind of a Disneyland attraction for tourists, uh, telling basically the story of uh, the city of David, King David, and so on and so on. Uh, and 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 I think that to add up to what Rami said. Uh, we have to look at a large operation and, and in more general, uh, the archaeological mechanism as a, a based on two main components. One is the view of archaeology as, as basically zoning. So what happens when you declare a specific area as uh, uh, designated as archaeological site? And the other is the historical or archaeological narrative that is being casted into these remains. And it, it, and, and how this works. Uh, and to add these two with what Elad is doing and to create this touristic or occupation tourism, uh, so to say, uh, this is how this, this whole mechanism works, basically. Well, let me bring Rami back in here to, to talk about the tourist side of things, because obviously this is a huge moneymaker for the Israeli government. I'm curious about how much revenue, if you can give us a vague sense that the Israeli government does get from these sites every year. I understand we're talking hundreds of thousands of visitors. Yes, um, and there are uh, different kinds of archaeological sites that the Israelis try to develop. Uh, to attract visitors. Uh, Jewish ones are important for them for nationalistic, ideological, propagandistic, and colonial reasons. And Christian ones are important for uh, vast uh, revenues from pilgrim Christian pilgrims yeah. who want to visit. So a huge amount of money to be made by developing uh, and uh, opening up more of the Islamic sites for Islamic tourists from all over the world, which Jordan is trying to do now and other uh, countries are, are doing. But the Israelis are very ideological in what they're doing. They're not 
really interested in uh, uh, pure religious tourism for all religions. They're interested in affirming the Jewish identity of this land in antiquity and today. Uh, and they keep searching for the, you know, the fortresses of David and Solomon for these gigantic uh, monumental structures that would show this was a capital city at some point where most archaeologists are basically have been saying for, for decades and decades that the, the, the Judea and Samaria and the Israelite and Judean kingdoms in antiquity were like many of the other uh, uh, kingdoms or entities that they, they were uh, people who lived on a piece of land, they shared some uh, tribal identity. Um, they didn't have massive, huge fortifications, and, uh, uh, and at least these haven't been found in, in Jerusalem. They have been found in some other uh, parts in, in Syria and mm -hmm. in Mesopotamia. So, so um, uh, it's really important to recognize that uh, we, we should excavate every archaeological site, whatever it is, Islamic, Jewish, Christian, uh, multiplicity of all these things, uh, honestly, with, with, with integrity, ethical and scholarly integrity. And that means you go down, you dig down in the ground and you find the layers one after the other and preserve them. What the Israelis are doing largely in Jerusalem is going horizontally. They're going in and in and in to try to find more evidence of this mythical uh, uh, fortress of David and Solomon. It may exist somewhere, but they've been looking for it for 150 years and they uh, they still haven't found it, and Jerusalem's not that big a place. Uh, so the Israelis are really uh, uh, doing a lot of things that are very uh, criticized by scholars and, and other mm -hmm. people. And if they would just relax and share the land with all of its inhabitants, there would be a much better life for everybody. Rami, you talked about digging down, right, from above, and there's obviously lots of issues about tunneling because you lose, by my understanding, a lot of the layers of the archaeology as, as you're digging through, if you're doing it horizontally. Uh, Mazen, I want to ask, do you feel there are some sites which are perhaps very sacred in terms of various different religions that shouldn't be touched? Because if you are going to be digging down properly, as, as a proper archaeological dig, you have to go from above. I do want to make a point about this uh, important point about the relationship uh, between the Israeli government and its institutions like the Parks of Nature and Parks Authority and private institutions like ILAD. Uh, these are, there is a convoluted web of relationships that uh, groups like B'Tselem and Peace Now and many other groups have dissected and written reports on. For example, Peace Now have, has written a report on how the Elad Settler Organization was delegated by the government and how they are a very rich organization. In 2018, for example, the turnover uh, for this was 116 million shekels for Elad, you know, annual uh, revenue. And now it's probably uh, much more than that. And they have assets that were valued at hundreds of millions of shekels that are under their control. Uh, so they are very wealthy uh, organizations that uh, many times they also have branches in the U.S. and in the U.K., where I am now uh, temporarily visiting, uh, where they get tax-deductible donations from wealthy uh, Jewish individuals, uh, Christian Zionists, etc., to support their activities. 
But the interesting nexus here between the Israeli government, like the Nature and Parks Authority, which basically then uh, doesn't even supervise what Elad does, uh, Nature and Parks Authority is interested in two aspects, nature reserves, so to speak, and, uh, and national parks. National parks are places like Silwan and what they call the City of David and so on. And those are areas that the Israeli government uses. And in their own words, if you go on their websites, you see that they write that the main purpose behind designating nature reserves and national parks is to serve Zionist uh, plans and Zionist ideas. They're not really about, for example, nature reserves protecting the wildlife. In and, fact, and Mazen, sorry, just to jump in there, because I understand that the implications for residents who are living in what's now been designated uh, a, a nature reserve or a national park, yeah, the, they, their homes are at risk, they can't graze their animals, there are huge implications for them. Uh, I want to ask Alon about a, a particular number that I came across in, in looking at this issue. Um, it was from 2019. At that point, 61 Palestinian communities living next to archaeological sites falling within the jurisdiction of regional settler councils had been evicted and barred from re-entering their land. Presumably, Alon, that number has increased in recent years. Um, I, I don't know this number when it, where it's uh, originated from. But as I, as I said, archaeology uh, is considered by us as a way of, of limiting uh, the use of certain properties. So the fact, and, and as, as Mazen said, the use of national parks and the designation of archaeological sites um, can be used also in order to limit what uh, use uh, one can do with the land. Now, as an archaeologist, I can tell you, uh, organizations like the Israel Antiquity Authority, they have almost an absolute power, as long uh, also together with the National Park Authority, to determine the borders of these sites. And we do know from historical cases like Susia and uh, Shilo and, and uh, Nebi Samuel that were, there were people who had been evacuated because of archaeological reasons. Uh, and and the, their old homes became a national park. Uh, and the same goes uh, slowly with the, the neighborhood of Silwan and Vadi Rababe and uh, to some degree other places in the old city of Jerusalem and the West Bank. Uh, so, so archaeology... Just, I just want to clarify for our viewers there, Silwan, which you're referring to, is a Palestinian village under which excavations have been going on. And I understand they've caused cracks in walls, um, some parts of Palestinian homes to collapse. Uh, Rami, I want to throw this to you because Mazen said earlier, he alluded to the fact that this is actually illegal under international law, that any kind of excavation in occupied territory is illegal. Is there any kind of recourse? Yeah, it, uh, international law is something that the Israelis uh, totally disregard. They, you know, the the things that they've done, colonization, kicking people out, uh, arresting little children, uh, everything that Israel has done and is continuing to do. They've, they've uh, killed uh, over a hundred people this year so far, and um, their raids uh, is against international law. But they don't care, and the people who 
in theory, created this modern international law after World War II and World War I, which is mostly the European powers and the, and the United States, um, they're not doing anything about it. Um, so the Israelis have total impunity to do whatever they want. They kill foreign journalists like Shabina Bakli and American Palestinian journalists. They do whatever they want. Uh, but it's important also to recognize that archaeology is just one tool in the toolbox that Zionism uses to evict the Palestinians. That's the Zionist aim, to get the Palestinians out and have a purely or very heavily Jewish state. They couldn't do it in 47, 48. They, they destroyed something like 500 villages. They take land because they make nature reserves. They make shooting zones, like south of Hebron now. They're destroying Palestinian villages to have uh, shooting areas for the army. They take land for settlement expansion. They take land for water uh, uh, issues. Uh, they take land to create places where European tourists can sunbathe uh, uh, with maximum intensity of the sun and buy villages. I mean, it's crazy. They will come up with any reason that you want to be able to expel Palestinians from their land and homes and Judaize that place. And they, they keep doing it. They ignore international law. The international community doesn't put any pressure on them. Uh, and that's why the major pressure on the Israelis on their apartheid system has come from BDS, the boycott, the divestment and sanctions. The civil society movements are leading mm. the process. The Palestinian government is totally inept and totally uh, ineffective. International law is not implemented. So civil society is leading this uh, process. So mm -hmm. we're starting to get against the Israeli moves in mm -hmm. law courts and the media. So keep the archaeological issues in their uh, uh, normal major perspective, which is that they're part of the Zionist plan to Judaize um, and uh, maintain this land forever for Israel. Very much about telling a story indeed. Well, we'll leave our discussion there for today. Thank you to all of our guests, Alon Arad, Rami Khoury and Mazen Kunsieh. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Umari Stambouli, Fungi Nguyen, and Giorg Nemir. Studio sound was by Yasir Romani. The program was edited by Mohamed Sobi, Lin Nguyen, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thanks for listening, and tune in again on Tuesday for our next one.